Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Man, oh man, great stuff on Independence Day this week. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Brian McPherson. Singer Brian McPherson has a tattoo of the unmistakable silhouette of the United States of America on his right arm, the contiguous 48 states at least. This may seem a strange idiosyncrasy for an artist who is largely considered a protest singer. Truly, McPherson pulls no punches when pointing out the darker side of his homeland, and given the dynamic folk-punk delivery of his songs about the labor movement, race relations, income inequality, women's rights, gay rights, and other causes of the oppressed and marginalized, it is nearly impossible to not be moved by his message. His agile and shouted tenor, up-tempo guitar playing, and frenetic harmonica accompaniment are reminiscent of an amped-up Woody Guthrie, or maybe Dylan on speed. And McPherson is fearless about taking his message to the people, logging thousands of miles, playing solo shows from coast to coast, and sleeping in his van along the way. If there is a salient criticism of modern activism, it is that it lacks heart and focus. But Brian McPherson has both of these things in spade, because it's when he slows down his tempos, dials down his rage, and delivers stark, first-person songs about love and the loss of loved ones that his strong, vulnerable, and indelible heart shines through. McPherson's new album, Wedgwood, was recorded in a rustic studio near an abandoned gold mine in California's Sierra Nevada mountains, a long way from his hometown of Boston. The collection of songs was named for the brand of wood-burning stove that he tended to stay warm, and the theme of fire imparts the music with a palpable feeling of searing change. Brian McPherson may be a slightly anachronistic protest singer in the internet age, but he is offering no vague indictments of those in power. He's as real as they come. A keen eye will reveal that there are no state lines or red or blue ink to divide the country on McPherson's tattoo, and that's an apt reminder for all of those singing and fighting for a better world. Welcome to Independence Day, Brian McPherson. Hey, Brian. Hi. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. You you just got off the road. You've been on the road, uh, I guess you've been off for a couple weeks now, a few weeks. But man, you still look tired. I am tired. <laughs> now, you're the kind of guy, you are you play, when you tour, you're essentially a solo artist. You don't take musicians out with you. You do everything by yourself. Right. And like in that, we, we kind of share something <laughs> similar in that regard, is that when I do this show, I'm doing the entire thing by myself. So I totally get what it's like. Right. Like, walk me through the experience of being you, like, on the road. Because you're driving, you're playing. Are you booking yourself, too? Are you doing social media stuff? Like, tell me about your cottage industry to get us started here. So, I mean, there's a couple... I just did I just did a tour in Europe and a tour in the United States. And in Europe, I had a, we had a driver. So that was the first time oh, wow. that I haven't had to Luxury. drive. Yeah, and it was, like, so relaxing. I, yeah. liked, I could fall asleep at night. Um, so it was a little bit easier. In the States here, um, which I've toured for three years pretty consistently, um, the average day, you know, I'll drive between four and sometimes 10 hours right. to get to a gig, depending. And then it's, it's, you jump out of the van. I try to get 20 minutes of nap slash meditation. Right. And I recently did that. I drove from Salt Lake City to uh, Colfax, California. And that was about 10 hours. And I just jumped wow. out of the van, just like laid on the ground. Because <laughs> I'm like, I got to just get out of van maniac right. driving to get to the gig tour mode into like some sort of... So you're in a van? I have a van, yeah. Okay. So out of curiosity, this is kind of like a, a mechanics question. But 
if you're solo, why aren't you in a car? Like, are you in a van just so you have more space so you can crash in the van if necessary? I got or? a van because I've done a, a lot of sleeping in the van. Okay. I slept in, you know, I, if you're looking for a Walmart parking lot to sleep right. in, you just ask me and I can point you in the right direction. Right. I slept in about every Walmart parking lot in the United States. Yeah. Um, I did I did that and I got a van because I'm just not comfortable going to crash with people that I don't know. Right. And also, um, when I first started, I, well, I didn't really know that many people out in Arizona or wherever else. Um, so, and I also didn't make enough money to, you know, get a motel room. Right, so right. if you, you know, if you play some gig in, you know, New Mexico and they toss you 50 bucks, like that's going in the gas tank. You know, totally. you sell a couple records, uh, there you go, you can get to the next place. But if you got to pay for a motel, like you're just yeah, not yeah. going to get to Albuquerque, you know, you're done. Totally. Well, that's the thing. Steve Earle's got a song called Hardcore Troubadour. And I'm imagining, I mean, literally a picture of you in the dictionary or encyclopedia next to like hardcore troubadour. Because <laughs> right this is the life that you've been living for yeah. several years now. Like you, I mean, all, respect, man. Respect with a capital R. Because Thanks, what man. you're doing is like the real deal. Like you jumped in with both feet, it seems like, to yep. do this. Um, you know, so, but your records go back farther than mm -hmm. three years. So was there, were you just kind of kicking around your hometown, playing songs and doing the thing that all musicians do? And then what was it that made you decide to like jump in and like jump off the cliff and do this full time? Well, it was all a process, you know, like, um, I, I had, um, I was in Boston and what happened was your hometown. Yeah. My hometown. I grew up born and raised in Boston and I started playing shows around there and I made a record and I played locally, but you know, it was still in my bubble of my hometown. And for whatever reason, I mean, I was kind of like for some years I was sort of waiting for things to happen and I was kind of getting on my feet too. Um, I had been quite an avid partier and, uh, I had, fell into the dark world of drugs and alcohol and i got out of that and so good for you and i wrote a bunch of songs about it and that's when 14 stories came about was when i cleaned up my act and um so there was a process of like learning how to live in the world without substances right um and so that's what i was i was not touring has been a slow process as we all know there's a lot of, of um you know there's a lot of people drink and use drugs and smoke pot or whatever out there you know and that's all all well and good but um so it was like a process where I got, I got to the wall, a wall where I was like, all right, I've been playing around my hometown. I've played the biggest shows I could play in my hometown. I did like a bunch of shows opening up for Dropkick Murphys in Boston. I What's played, the, is the Paradise still around? Paradise is there. Yeah, I've actually never played the Paradise. Okay. I've played everywhere else in Boston, though. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, I played to 5,000 people at the House of Blues opening up for Dropkicks, you know, and I'm like doing this and doing it. And I'm like, but what's happening next you know i didn't right. really know so i i toured the I, I booked like my first tour out in the west coast the california up to seattle and uh, i met a friend in berkeley and he was like uh, well if you still if you're thinking about coming out to california i'm looking for a roommate so i was like there it is okay um yeah there's had, your shot had a goodwill hunting moment with a friend of mine who was like, you better get on that plane and, and yeah, go, yeah. dude. Like, you got to just <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I just put my stuff on the curb, you know, and um, got on the plane, came out to California. And whether it's California or whether it's just being out of my comfort zone has really helped me to um, just kind of um, go for it, you know? Yeah. It, it gets to a point where it's like, 
what are you doing? Are you going to go for it? Or are you yeah. going to kind of go for it? And it's like... Yeah, that's the biggest piece of advice that I think all musicians could take, including myself, which... Or I wish, I wish I would have heard this advice as a young musician, which is that when you get to a certain point, there's almost no point in playing gigs in your hometown. You're just going to get... You know, every now and again, some band, you know, builds up a scene... And then it kind of reaches a tipping point. Like that's happened in cities from time to time. Mm -hmm. Like the Athens thing in the 80s with like R.E.M. and Indigo Girls, et cetera. Or a Prince, or you know, Minneapolis and then Chicago in the 90s with Urge Overkill and Smashing Pumpkins and Liz Fair. Like every little scene has their thing where a local artist kind of breaks through. But that going back to that advice, get out on the road is like the number one advice. Sell everything you have if you have to. Um, Go do it. That's the only way to actually make something of yourself is just to transcend that thing that you came from and become a real artist in the sense you were out among the English in the world, mm-hmm. you know? So for you, it was kind of, it was almost happenstance. Like you had been doing it with goals in mind mm-hmm. in your hometown in Boston. Mm-hmm. And then you got that opportunity to come to California, but then what made it, you know, cause why, why didn't you just do the same thing in, in Berkeley? Why, what made you get out and do it everywhere? You know, well, get just, a van and like give up your place. Once again, it's just the process. Um, so I got to California and it was like, okay, now what do I do? I have like eight hundred dollars, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. so I got a job and I, I settled in a little bit and I wrote songs, you know, which is what I do primarily. Yeah. I consider myself a songwriter first, and um, then it was like, well, how? Okay, how am I going to record these songs? You know, um, I don't have any money, and what am I going to do? And uh, my friend Jeff that I was playing with, his brother is an incredible engineer and producer um, in the Bay Area, Willie Samuels. And we talked to Willie, and he gave me a pretty good deal. And simultaneously, I got a tax return, and I was like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of money. So I made the record. And then the record sat there, and I was like, well, now what do I do? I don't know how to put out a record. Right. Like, I mean, I put out a record before with somebody else, with a small label, and I'm like, I don't have the money to press CDs or anything, right, you know? right? So, someone offered me and pressed some CDs, and then it was like, now what do I do? Well, go on the road. How do I yeah. do that? Get a van and just book a tour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You see those books like in the bookstore and Amazon, like how to be an you know, indie musician survival guide, those kinds of things, you know? And yeah. there's, I'm sure there's good information in there, and those people probably mean well, at least I hope they do. But there's almost, it's the funny thing about going into music is they're. Uh, one of my favorite phrases is there are as many ways to do this as there are people doing it. Yeah. You know, you want to be a lawyer, here's your path. Yeah. You know, you get a bachelor's degree in something pre-law, you go to law school, you pass the bar. Now this is a lot of work here. Mm -hmm. I'm not shortchanging the amount of work it would take to do that, but there's a path at least. And you can pretty much guarantee like work, like you'll have employment at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a lot of debt. Like, (laughs) again, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like that's an easy road, right? None of these roads are easy, but at least you know where the road is. There are signposts on that road. And I think with music, it's, it's much more vague. Totally. You know, sure. The signposts are the ones that you just said, make a record, go on tour, etc. But like, there's not any way to just go do that. Oh yeah. No. And it is like, for me, it's looking for the signs, you know? Yeah. Like I look, I, I'm like a into mysticism, you know, like I, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot, we're on a strange trip. I'm, I'm into it. The yeah. universe speaks to me sometimes. And yeah. I ask it for signs and I just, yeah, you got to have a lot of faith, you know, cause you don't yeah. know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with all, with this, you know, I'm just, I'm just winging it, you know? I'm just doing the next thing. Totally. I'm talking with Brian McPherson. He's a hardcore troubadour. I would loosely call you kind of a... 
I don't know, hardcore folk singer of some kind. Because he's protest music is loosely what you do, I, I think I would call it. Uh, you know, kind of in the tradition of Woody Guthrie, uh, lots of other folks doing, you know, the singing about real things. You know, not heartbreak and I kissed a girl and et cetera. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with those things. Those are all well and good, too. But uh, he's got a brand new record just dropped a couple months ago. It's called Wedgwood. Uh, let's hear a track from that. This is the track Born on a Highway. Brian McPherson. We're going to talk some more with him. We get back after this. <laughs> Born on a 
My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you very much for doing so. Happy summer. God, I love this time of year. Yeah. Even in California, I love this time of year, the long days. Tonight's guest is Brian McPherson. Brian with a Y, McPherson, M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. And the reason I told you that is so you can go to brianmcpherson.com, learn everything you need to know about him. He's got a lot of videos up there. And man, you are like, you're full-time music, like capital F, capital T, capital, capital M. Like yeah. you're out there doing this on the road. You just got off the, you did what, like a th- month's worth of dates? Two and a half months I was on the road. Two and a half months worth of dates. Yeah. And uh, you pretty much everywhere during that time. Yeah. Um, we started, well, before the tour even started, I drove across the country. So I, f- I drove from California to Boston, flew to Finland. So yeah, um, toured in Finland, Germany, Poland, Austria, England, and then back to the States and then uh, across the States, back to California here. Okay, so give me some logistical considerations here. Are you also booking these things yourself? Like, are you totally a cottage industry? Do you do everything no, yourself, um, self-contained? I was. Um, the European tour, I toured with um, a woman named Louise Distress, and she does a folk punk thing over there. And she, um, her booking agency set set up the okay. shows over there. So that was like, you know. Turnkey, that makes really, it easy. And I do have a booking agent here that I work with, and I, I do some of the booking, and he does. He's okay. been doing a lot of the booking too. I mean, is he a guy that's like pro level that you picked up, or because I mean, it, again, these arrangements are very strange sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's like a buddy, yeah. Like, hey man, can you help me with this? And it's a guy who believe or a girl who believes in your music, and they'll yeah. help you out. He's or... a friend of mine who's totally down with the cause, and he's uh, he books a lot of shows up in Santa Cruz, so okay. He's always talking to booking agents and stuff, so I figured he'd be yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So, and then does he, with this, you know, this is mechanics. I don't need like specific numbers, but do you give him like a cut, like oh, a, yeah. a percentage, like oh, a straight yeah. up percentage? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's the way to do it, man. People yeah, should I mean, be paid to do this. Yeah, I mean, he's working for it. I mean, he's emailing back and forth and setting stuff up. And so, I mean, um, yeah, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't like people working for free if they don't have yeah. to, you know. Yeah, that's the that's weird. Not, you're not going to get a million bucks out of this. But. Right. <laughs> well, it's a weird thing about our industry, too, is that like so much of it like exists in a place where it's free for so long. Yeah. And maybe that might be the hardest part. Like, I, It's kind of like, a, to use a space metaphor, it's like escape velocity. Like you can kind of go up into the atmosphere, like play your local shows and like make some money and then come yeah. back down and come back down. But if you need to escape that orbit, like escape the gravitational pull and fully exist out there in the ether... You know, that's getting away from that. Because, like, for so long, like, you play in bands. And bands don't make a lot of money. Right. And, like, you're basically, like, so you you play a show with a band. Like, you're playing at least by yourself. Like, if you do make 50 bucks, yep. that's 50 bucks for you rather yeah. than 1250 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for four of you. So, mm-hmm. uh, or whatever it comes out to you. So, um, man, it's great to talk to you. Brian McPherson is the guest this week on Independence Day. Uh, hardcore troubadour. Um, you mentioned the word cause before. And now I want to jump right into kind of, like, the meat of our conversation, which is... You write about what I would I would call real things, right? You do uh, you know protest songs. You've got a song a little bit later. You're going to sing about Kelly Thomas, mm-hmm. um, who uh, died at the hands of the police. Um, and there's other songs like looking across the the list of songs on your record here. Um, was this something that was always part of what you were doing? Like, is it this this protest song thing? Was it always interwoven completely in what you were doing? Is it why you got into this? Were you like part of these things first, and then the music came second, or was it all together? How did that work out for you? Because it's such a big thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, I've always kind of done these sorts of songs and um, I just, uh, you know, traditionally I just kind of, you know, I exist in the world and I experience things and for whatever reason things upset me or, or, or I see things that I think are 
some sort of truth or something. But at the end of the day, I just write the songs. I don't really sit around thinking about what issue can I tackle here. Right. I just cough them up, you know? And yeah. sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to sing this song. I'm right. like, this song is going to be awkward. But yeah. then sometimes those songs are the songs that resonate with people the most. Right. Um, so, I mean, I've just kind of always done that. I grew up on like punk rock. I grew up on like Bob Dylan. I grew up on, I grew up in Boston. I grew up in, in the streets of Boston. Like I grew up like, you kind of had to like stick up for yourself and, and you know, fight, you know, where right. I'm from. And so I, that kind of went into my music a little bit. Um, and then like in Wedgwood, it's kind of like a journey into like the depths of of that and a journey out of it too. But it's a social justice thing. Like, I mean, you're making it sound very offhanded, like this was just going to kind of naturally came, it fomented and grew in your world. But like, you had to have given a, a crap. You know, that's, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. the thing, like wearing your heart in your sleeve and like having the courage to sing about real things other than like chicks and cars. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with Springsteen. That's all fine. We like singing about chicks and cars. And he has social justice songs too. Right. But this is so woven so integrally in what you're doing. Like, were you always someone who was just, I mean, uh, you know, a sense of empathy about humanity. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, I was kind of always looking at things and question. I I've always questioned things, you know, even as a little kid, like questioned, like why, yeah, the authorities say this. Why, why am I gonna go to hell? <laughs> like, why is my right. dog not gonna go to heaven? Yeah, like, yeah. what? Wh- who are you to say this? Yeah. So these things have kind of always made me angry or upset or whatever, and just different things. I witness and I mean, uh, and then it just kind of, it finds its way into a song. Um, and so I just, um, I just, you know, like anyone else, any other artist, I just live an experience in the world. And I don't know some, I'm drawn to some things and I think music is powerful and can affect change. And, you know, as an artist, I think it's important when people, when people relate to it, you know, that gives, that at least helps them get through their day. Like say if they're really upset about something and then I sing a song about it and they're like, yeah, like now I know that feeling in my gut, that, that depressing cloud hanging over my head today that I couldn't quite put my finger on. This is like sort of like liberated me through that because you've seen that too. And like, it's coming at me in this music and it's like, yes, that is like this true thing that, I mean, I, that is kind of the beauty of music, whether it's you singing about a broken heart or a broken system or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's, well, it's a very apt way to put that, a broken heart versus a broken system. It's a very apt way to put that. Because that's like, you know, that's the, the traditional role of an artist in our society is to kind of observe what's going on and then reassemble that in a, in a small encapsulated way. Like you said, to either help somebody get through the day or to, to share the common human experience. You know, I've had a, you've got a broken heart. I've got a broken heart. Let's, this is, let, let me help you feel better about the fact that you have a broken heart. It right. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, and you can apply that to anything. Um, so uh, let's, let's, let's play a song here now, to, to, to kind of get into this idea, like this first song here, uh, Dark Hearts. Tell me what this is about. Cause I well, think I know what I think it's about, but I want you right. to. This song, Dark Hearts, I mean, I wrote it a couple of years ago, but it's about probably 10 years ago. Um, or longer. It's just about my misspent youth and some of my old friends and where they ended up and the type of people that we are. And, um, you know, it's basically about like running around in the streets, like doing drugs and selling drugs and just, um, being a person with a, you know, who's involved in a darker sort of reality with a darker sort of soul. And then it's also about coming out of that and finding the light and, um, 
you know, living a life after, after the storm, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right. Brian McPherson, looking forward to hear this dark hearts on independence day. Don't you worry. It'll be all right. Hold me close in the morning light Cause every day comes after night We don't go down without a fight We were playing golf on the avenue Slinging dope running from the boys in blue But every jungle has its rules the lions and the fools Down here you run to get away Chasing wolves in this jungle parade Down there played from my heart And we were playing in the dark And we are dark hearts are dark hearts We are dark hearts We are I heard Ricky got locked up again You're lucky if you end up in a detox bed Chasing dreams in the eye of a needle like to watch them all burn And my boy busy ended up dead Everybody knows why He's just up and left I don't know why I'm alive But my friend had to die But down here you run to get away Chasing ghosts in a graveyard parade Down there played from my heart And we were playing in the dark We are dark hearts We are dark hearts We are Dark hearts We are Them days never coming back I see him now in the smoke stacks the tree is gone and the sky is cracked and we were singing in the black we were all playing this silly game running riot on a red line train Running right into the pain 
as we were running from the rain And I don't think I'll ever get away Chasing hope in a basement parade Down there I played for my heart And we were playing in the dark We are dark hearts We are dark hearts We are dark hearts We are Good work, man. Thank you. Good work. I really, really like that. I really, I really, really do. Um, and it's so nice. I've said this for the second time. I think it's nice to hear somebody singing about like r- real stuff in a non-oblique kind of way, because I think that's a hard line to walk as a songwriter. It's hard to incorporate real people, real things, real events, because then everyone can look and see, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, on a personal level, people that you know, you know, can call BS on things that maybe you were writing. Or in a bigger sense, when you write about a more, you know, like a social justice issue, you know, you write about the Pinkertons or you write about someone who was killed, you know, um, a school shooting, for example. Right. Like the facts are all there. People can see these kinds of things. So it's, you have to do that with a deft touch. So kudos to you for being able to do that and giving it a sense of gravitas and giving it a sense of reality. Um, you know, and I, I can't, I, I don't know you that terribly well, but like, do your, when your friends, are written into your songs. Like how do they how do they feel about that? Or how do you how do you approach that? I don't know. Um it doesn't happen too often. Sometimes I change the names. Um but I mean in this song, like my friend Biz is dead and he passed away. Um my friend yeah and I don't know where Ricky is. Um I don't think he'd be too upset. But, yeah. Um Whatever, it's all good. I mean, I'm st- I still consider those yeah. guys, you know, really good friends of mine. So yeah, and one that's what it gives it that sense of realism. You know, we talk about uh, this came up a few a uh, few shows ago, like Steve Earle when he's writing about you know drugs or being in jail. Like he did drugs and he was in jail. You know, and where is that line between art- artistic license and non artistic license? Like you can, I don't think you necessarily have to be in jail to sing about having been in jail, but there's yeah. a certain there's a difference. Yeah, it's like anything. Like, if you people can think about things all day, you know, but until you go and have direct experience and like walk through something, you really don't know. Like, that's what's happening in the world now is like a lot of people, oh, I don't need to go to the Grand Canyon. I looked at it on YouTube and it looks cool, but I don't need to go there. I don't need to go to the show because I listened to the record and I, you know, but having the direct experience and you know like that's the where the real truth of an experience is right. it's like nothing worse than like getting advice from someone who's thought about something you know it's like right. oh, i'm glad you've thought about it i lived it i think i have a little more <laughs> yeah. perspective on that and i we can't really identify you know it's difficult it's one thing it's easier to think about something yeah well, I think the internet has made us all feel, or not all of us, it's made a lot of us feel like we're experts in everything. Yeah. And But I think there's a very, very keen difference, a very uh, important d- distinction between knowing the answer to a question or knowing a situation and knowing where to find the answer to that question. You know, or knowing, having been to the Grand Canyon, having seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, or maybe it's a drone flyover, which looks right. amazing, but it's still not the same thing. And sometimes there's two right answers to the same question. You know, everyone yeah. has their own truth, you know, right. just because I... I have my truth doesn't mean it's not different from your truth. And, um, 
maybe we can figure out how to make it all work together. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's great of you, man. I, I like that. I love that perspective. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, you know in your in your uh, your press materials. It talks about the Occupy movement, right? You know, which is something that I mean I imagine is is fertile territory for the kind of music that you do. Yeah. Like, are you how involved? What first of all, how great to see people giving a, a crap. Yeah, that's, about stuff yeah. in our in our age of apathy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did you, were you there at the beginning of this? Were you like how involved are you in this? Yeah, I mean, I was involved. I I was touring around California, and my girlfriend was like, "Oh, there's like this thing happening on Wall Street where these people are like camping out and like they're like, you know, giving the government a bunch of crap." And I was like, "Wow, sounds really cool." And I had just recorded "American Boy, American Girl," which is you know, a lot of political type protest songs and other songs, but I was living in Berkeley and, uh, Oakland happened. And so I went down there on like the first day and I was just like, I need to like sing these songs for these people. Cause yeah. this is what they're talking about. This is what I'm singing about. Like we need to, we need to do this. So I just started to go down there. We were doing a lot of shows in the courtyard right in front of city hall. Um, very DIY, but, you know, it was an amazing time. Like that was in the beginning of Occupy Oakland. It was an incredible thing to witness. It was kind of, you're witnessing a revolution from the beginning. You know, there was like a deconstruction of society, but then at the same time they were reconstructing society. So there was a little library and there was a little this and there was a little that. And then you saw where all these things come from. But anyways, we did shows and, uh, had Amanda Palmer came down. We did a show with Amanda Palmer. I played, um, right after Michael Moore spoke. That was pretty pretty cool. cool. Um, did you get to meet him? No, I did not get to meet him. He did walk by me though. There was just like a mob of people surrounding him, like taking, it was really crazy. It was a crazy time. So it was very inspiring to just be around such a climate of people caring and, uh, doing something, whether it's just, you know, voicing these things that they see or taking to the streets, you know? So one of the criticisms of the Occupy movement was that you are standing against something but not for something. But you were there kind of at the at the heart of this kind of thing, right? I mean, some people said it's a bunch of dirty hippies who don't have jobs. They can afford to go out and hang around in courthouses and hang around and, and occupy things. You know, it's kind of a passive way to do this. But, you know, Gandhi himself, I mean, or, or Thoreau or any of these people like this, you know, this passive way of being... Of getting of making change done, but you know, how do you answer the critics of the Occupy movement? You were there, you know, you were playing with this part of thing. But what was what was real about it, and what was bad about it? I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of like, well, what have you done lately? You know, I think before you can solve a problem, you need to acknowledge that there is a problem. And what was happening before Occupy was a lot of people were not acknowledging that there was a problem. People weren't acknowledging that they've been screwed over. Um, and what Occupy did was draw attention to that. It was like, hey, this is messed up. You know, we've been screwed over. Like, um, and so now ninety nine percent. The ninety nine percent. Right. Yeah. The be- the bailout of the banks and you know the practices on Wall Street and Wall Street in bed with the president and the government and the whole. It's you know basically like fascism. Um, so people are you know protesting that like this is a land of the people. This is a land of democracy. This is not like. You know, that these are the images that we all have, but this is not what actually happens in the process. And then you have the haters on the sidelines who kind of like, oh, yeah, I kind of dig it. I get by, you know, like, I don't see how, what are you complaining about? You know, like, I have everything that I need and, you know, that whole, just the hater mentality. If if you're anyone who does something, there's always going to be 
haters on the sidelines criticizing you are acting like, why are you doing that? You know, right. uh, whether it's pursuing your dream or whether it's, you know, hey, saying, hey, this is messed up. We need to do something about this. Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, there's an analogy I like to use, which is that it's harder to build something than it is to tear something down. No, that's true. Right? I mean, building something, whether it's a human being, it takes nine months to create a human being. And then from there, you could argue that it takes 18 to 75 years to actually complete the human being. Right? Mm -hmm. um, a tree. You plant a tree. Even a fast-growing tree, a pine tree, takes 10 years to reach any substantive height. Um, a song, building a song. It's easy to sit back and criticize. Hey, your song sucks. Well, you, hey, dude. You go write a song. Go yeah, write a song. Yeah. Write a good song. Yeah. Write a great song. Yeah. You know, it's easy to be a critic. You oh, know, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so that kind of ties into this kind of thing. But what, I mean, what, you know, what was the end of the Occupy movement? Because it kind of came as a crest and then it kind of broke and went away. Like, what were the problems inherent with this kind of thing? Because, I mean, it, 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 like, it seems like it did good for a while or maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I don't no, know. I you mean, tell me. I can't speak for the whole movement, but from my perspective, it just seemed like, um, well, for one, there was just a total smear campaign, you know, like the mass media was just, you know, just creating their own version of events going on. So say 50,000 people shut down the port in Oakland, 5,000 people shut down the port in Oakland, right. you know, like they just minimized things and they would just, you know, so there was that happening. But there was also like it kind of got to a point where it was like, well, where does this go now? Like we have we pointed out these problems, we're gathering, and you know, but what do we do now? Um, and also, I think one of the greatest things about it was that it was leaderless. But also, one of its big, biggest failings was that it, I think it was leaderless. Um, at the right. end of the day, people look for a leader or a leaders or someone. Well, that's to the kind problem of, is we all can't talk at once. Everyone's talking and nothing, not not a lot of action. Um, but also. Because it was so open and free, like uh, it did at towards the end, there was a negative element, you know, like there was people, you know, de dealing drugs and there was like shady elements of people like, you know, just the negative energy. And then I started to witness like, oh, well, this guy's like harassing this girl over here. So these other two guys like go and they like physically like take him and remove him. And I'm like, oh, that's how like the police force happened because you have <laughs> right. these things you can't you, you you have these things in society when people get together that you need you need police but you don't need them to kill you right you need them to police people and they are public servants and so like you see we need a library so they built a library we need electricity so someone rode a bike to create electricity so you you saw like the dismantling of the system and then the rebuilding of the system and i think that's what America is. It was founded on a revolution. It was founded on dismantling the system and rebuilding it. And there were certain things in there to to allow you to have a revolution when the time came because it was inevitable that everything would get corrupted again. Right. It's just an inevitable thing. And the forefathers and mothers saw that. And that's why America became America. And that's also why they're trying to dismantle all of this behind the scenes with... Right taking away your rights <laughs> yeah well it's any any institution has institutional problems and corruption is part of that um you know it's why i would argue that both communism and capitalism don't really work in their pure forms right. nothing works functionally like yeah. that because every single system will be exploited mm -hmm. by the people within and without that system you know you look at um let's just use obamacare as an example right it's kind of a crappy bill in a way a single pair system is really the only thing that's going to actually help people stay healthy in mm -hmm. a way. At least that's my opinion. I'm going on record and saying that. But that's unrealistic in our current political environment. Our political wheels were built to... 
<laughs> They're come, coming to come get us, man. Get me, yeah. The uh, the political wheels <laughs> were meant to turn slowly so that radicals couldn't change things too fast. But change is also necessary. Change right. is a part of this. Um, so, But to tie it back in, we have a situation where, you know, in the Occupy movement, now you've got, it's become an institution, like it or not. If you get two people together in a room, they're going to disagree on some stuff. You get three, you get four, you get 50, you get 100, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, mm-hmm. 300 million. Yep. We still have to get along. We still have to function. We still need streets and roads and libraries and fire and right. fire suppression things. So how, you know, how do we get past those institutional problems? You know? And then here we come back to the role of the folk singer, which is your role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's easy to point out those, uh, point out where the problems are and hopefully make it a call to action. Yeah. You know, I don't have the answers a lot of times. Sometimes people ask me, well, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. You need to go figure out what you can contribute and what you can do. You need to get real quiet and, and, you know, use your skill to bring what you ever, what you have to the table, you know, to. Yeah, well, we live in a complex world. I want you to play a song, because this, this next song you're about to play kind of ties in perfectly to what we're about to talk about here, what we've been talking about here, uh, which is this kind of call to action, you know, pointing out where the problems are, and then actually doing something about it. But what people fail to understand or p- fail to really think about is that we live in a very complex world, right? And complex, in a complex world, uh, the problems are complex, and therefore the solutions are also inherently complex. But people don't want, they want things to be very, very simple. And of course, I do too. Everybody does. But there's too many people in the world now to have things be simple and elegant, you know? So maybe that's the Occupy thing. It's like, hey, there's something wrong. And maybe the next logical step as, you know, what you're doing, what other folk singers, you know, political action people are, are doing is, you know, not right versus left or red versus blue or rich versus poor, class war, mm-hmm. uh, whatever you want to call it, is just making it better. Find some way to make it better. Mm-hmm. Make someone's, in a simple way, make someone's day better, you know? Yeah. It's hard to do. Someone cuts you off instead of flipping them off. Maybe that guy's dog died. That's what you gotta try to do. Yeah, exactly. Empathy, mm-hmm. capital word. Anyway, tell me about this song because this ties in exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, Days of Rage is. Um, she's. What is this song? This is a. I guess this song did come out of Occupy in my experiences there, but just also my experiences in um, in our society. And I wrote this song in Southern California, and so like there's a line in there. Uh, I saw the apocalypse explode at the local mall, so that was kind of like a out in the valley kind yeah. of sort of thing. But other, you know, this is a song like I don't. I there's a lot going on in this song. It's right. kind of a complex song. It's kind of ranty, um, and this song kind of you know upset some people. With, there's a line about America, right? Yeah, the line is uh, uh, calling America the homeland. Kind of reminds me of the Nazis in that someone went on a very big tirade on the internet about that line. Um, oh. Really? I tired on the internet? <laughs> Shocking. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, the United States has not, you know, killed a bunch of people in America. You know, they do that elsewhere. But also, um, you know, when you dismantle the Constitution, when you when you start calling America the homeland, you know, after 9-11 and everything else, some other thing, when you when you make this more important than other people in the world and it gives you the right to justifiably attack or you know, pull strings or do whatever elsewhere, I think that's dangerous ground. And I think when stuff like the National Defense Authorization Act happened, which allowed the government to imprison American c- citizens that they quote-unquote suspected of terrorism, I think that was a pretty big break in the United States. And that's kind of what every crazy dictator go goes and does before they start doing crazy stuff because right you know like 
if you can just, you know, part of the, if you need, like America is you have a right to due process, you have a right to an attorney. But when you take that away, when only someone has been suspected of terrorism, like you're taking away a big piece of America and you're walking on very dangerous ground um, as, as a country and as a people. Um, and so that's where that line came from. And I apologize to anyone who's offended by it, but it, it's a reactionary line. Like my music is reactionary. Yeah. I sing from the gut. I don't sit around and think about it. Um, you can sit around and think about it when you write your little blog or whatever. I don't have that luxury. Like right. I'm an artist. I just throw it out there. Um, and I don't take it back. And I, I stand by that line. Like I'm t- not sure an apology is necessary. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I'm you know, I, I don't think so either. I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not gonna yeah. do it. Thank you. Yeah, Rev, go ahead and rescind that apology. I mean, you do, you do what you do. I mean, someone has to call people out on their nonsense. Yeah. And you know, honestly, you know, and some musicians do things to shock people just to get attention. But I think your bona fides, you know, your your resume is, you know, it's legit. Right, the things that you're calling out are actual problems. You're not the only one who feels this way. So you know you're giving voice to a lot of other people by saying, "Hey, that sucks." Right? Uh, you know, and the next thing is the call to action. We'll talk a little bit about, a little more about that when we come back after this song. So this is Brian McPherson. Such an honor to have him on the show tonight. And uh, he's Boston uh, originally, kind of. I think they were based in Boston, but you're from Boston originally, oh, yeah. kind of California guy Born now. But you spend as much time on the road as you do anywhere else. So Brian McPherson with a protest song on Independence Day. The song's called Days of Rage. I've seen Jesus in the skid row bomb. I saw Buddha up on Highway 1. I've seen Muhammad on the run. So I took 7,000 Hindu gods because I could pick one. And I've seen David Koresh burning down I've seen London Bridge in Newtown People in the streets with fog in their eyes And freedom reach for blinded skies Fist clenched in blood with occupied signs Beaten and broken by the FBI Calling America the homeland Kind of reminds me of the Nazis And the Soviet Union Stalin and Liberace Playing games up in heaven Monopoly and Yahtzee And we're all stars in this age Of digitized paparazzi But I won't be afraid Of the days of rage Inside Justified, and I won't be afraid of the fascist brigade. You fall in line with freedom lies. I seen the apocalypse explode at the local mall. With Ken and Barbie people dolls Melting in plastic with bubbling skies Microwave revolution, American pie Thanksgiving was robbed for Christmas songs of dollar But Thanksgiving was just a song to cover up the slaughter So I really can't complain to Liberty's daughter She's been kidnapped on a train from yesterday to tomorrow But I won't be afraid the days of rage inside it's justified 
And I won't be afraid of the fascist brigade. You fall in line, freedom lies. Well, I seen they made a movie out of Osama bin Laden. Well, they made a movie out of a movie to show to all the zombies. And I'm the last true soldier in the land of the dead. But I think my days are numbered because they'll surely have my head. There's no freedom of speech in the land of the sheep. And if you really want the news, then look to the streets and the sidewalk and the sand. The cracks and disasters, palms in the hand of the propaganda of the masters. And we bleed the blood the workers of the world we toil and labor and hand over the pearls in a broken system the snake will eat itself how can i go to heaven if i'm living in hell and i won't be afraid of the days of rage inside it's justified i won't be afraid of the fascist brigade you fall in line freedom lives That is good stuff. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This week's guest, Brian McPherson, B-R-Y-A-N McPherson, P-A-M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. He's a Boston-based songwriter. I I keep saying that. Not Boston-based, but you're from Boston. Boston bred. California-based now, uh, but you kind of live out on the road doing your thing, doing a lot of protest songs, a lot of social justice songs. These are topics that are very dear to my heart, so thank you for doing that. On behalf of me, when you're out there and you're doing those long drives, man, thank you for like being a foot soldier for like what I would consider to be the righteous way Thanks, in the United man. States. So keep, Appreciate it. keep doing it. It's good stuff. We talked about the Occupy movement before. We talked about kind of interpersonal things. Um, what is the call to action, though? Or like, what is the action that, you know, are you, when you go through these protest songs, we were talking before we played that song about how it's easy to point out where the problems are. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we work towards a solution? Like, is there a way to do that in the music? Is there a way to like empower people somehow? That's a good question. Um, I find that sometimes when you try to do that, you end up with a contrived, crappy song. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I don't know, stuff like We Are the World, that was a, <laughs> that was yeah? good. I thought that yeah. was a really good song, and that was like a good, you know, that that raised a lot of money and probably fed a lot of people and you know, raised a lot of awareness yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. For me personally, I, I, you know, I don't know. I can't really... Like I said before, I can't try too hard to point the ship in a, dir- a certain direction with my music, but um, yeah. I think you know, you throw it out there and then let people do with it what they will, you know. And yeah. it's hard to see, you know, with that expression, like a butterfly flaps its wings and like a million miles away or something, something happens. Like, right? You don't really know. Like people, are like, well, what did Occupy do? Like, well, for one, I wrote a bunch of songs down there, right. and I met some friends down there, and then I went and lived in their hut. And that's where I basically recorded the songs. And then I made the record. No, not all the songs on the record about that. But then I made this record and 
who knows where those songs are getting played and who knows right. if that's influencing someone who's like, you know what, we need to put an end to it. We need to really in, institute some guidelines with police brutality. And I've been inspired to do that now because, you know, someone wrote a song about it and like it yeah. affected me and I saw things in a new way. So now I'm inspired to like go create that sort of positive change. Yeah. Around that time, you know, I wanted to start something I called, it's a different word, but like basically give a crap movement. You know, like give a give a crap T-shirts. Again, you can use the other word in your head, but like it, for me, that's where it starts. Like it doesn't matter exactly what you care about, as long as you care about something. Yeah. Care about the homeless. Care about ecology. Care about uh, class. You know, righteousness. Uh, healthcare. There are many, many issues that need attention. But just start somewhere, and then start with yourself. You know, there's that whole phrase, think globally, act locally, right? Mm-hmm. Think in terms of we. Who who are we? Who is we? That echoes your point from before about America. Because I see you have a tattoo of the United States, at least the contiguous 48 yeah. on your arm. <laughs> you know, Alaska and Hawaii can go do what they will. But well, Maybe I'll add them once I go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, who is we? Is we... Uh, we in California is we we here in Glendale, Los Angeles is yeah. we the United States is we the Western Hemisphere the Northern Hemisphere is we all, but we is all of us. I think yeah, we is everybody. We yeah. is everybody. We is me and you right now. Right. We is me and you and people listening to this later. We is yeah. you know people they talk to. We is everybody. We is yeah people we see on the street. People when we go to the post office. Yeah. So don't be a jerk. And give a crap about something. Yeah. And do something Fundamentals, about it. right? <laughs> yeah, do yeah. something about it. Anyway, so we've talked a lot about those kinds of heavy, weighty topics. I love that stuff, though. It's such a good conversation. Let's kind of backtrack just a little bit, talk a little bit more about you, the process of making Wedgwood, this new record that just came out a couple months ago. It's still brand new as far as anybody's concerned. Um, you did kind of an interesting thing to record this, if, I'm, if I've got this right. You, you did you recorded this pretty isolated, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fairly isolated up in uh, the the Sierra foothills of the Sierras up in Colfax, California and grass Valley. It's kind of a hippie, hippie town up there. Um, now like, you know, I didn't consciously say, let me go stay in this hut on my friend's property. And like, I'll do this rustic sort of record. Yeah. The Bon Iver, Justin Vernon kind of yeah, thing. I mean, that's cool. But I, you know, like it wasn't, it was more like, I just finished this tour. I'm down in Southern California. I don't know what I'm doing. And my friends were like, hey, you can come stay here for a little while if you want. I'm like, cool, that'd be perfect. I can just kind of gather my thoughts. And then I uh, I had a budget to make the record, and I was up there, and I was like, well, I'm just going to start working out the record. So I started banging it out and uh, found a studio up there. And, um, yeah, it just kind of happened organically, but it did have its own vibe. It, yeah, I think it sounds like a folky kind of radically mountain kind of record. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I love it up there. I mean, if I, I, could, I would live in a tent in the Sierras for the rest of my days and probably be perfectly happy if I could get away with that. Yeah, I like the mountains too. It's very nice, but I start to get claustrophobic because I, I was born on the coast, you know, so yeah, yeah. I start to miss the ocean a little bit. But it was, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Fresh air. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just a good vibe up there. No, but there's a there's a gold mine like that ties into this somehow. Like, explain how that's involved. Yeah, all that's where the studio was. Um, I was in Colfax, and the gold mine is in Grass Valley. It was on Flying Whale Studios. It's called the Arrowhead Gold Mine. The old Arrowhead Gold Mine. Um, and you actually, when you're driving up to the studio, you drive by an old cart on a rail that like goes into some collapsed tunnel, and. Uh, yeah, so that, like the studio is like right on there. It's in this guy's backyard, Bruce Wheelock, and he's got nice, nice gear, good microphones and stuff. So, and it was pretty isolated there as well. Like, you, you know, no cell phone or anything. Just kind of drink some coffee and just bang out the songs. You know, 
Yeah. So how long were you in the Sierras then to do this? A couple like, months. A couple months. Yeah. Oh, maybe three months. Okay. Three, almost four months. Now, and also speak to me, you know, when you play shows, you're playing solo almost always, right? right? Um, but there's some other instrumentation on the record. Like, how, you know, when you're a guy that's going to go to do things solo, I mean, are you a person that wants to keep things simple because you know you are then going to go play them solo? Like, it's intentional that way. I think it's a mix of both. Um, I like, what I've always done and do best, I think, is a stripped down, raw sort of thing. Uh, but I don't, on a record, I want to, you know, jazz things up a little bit, you know, and, and collaborate with people to kind of see what suits the song. But that being said, I don't want to do, go do, you know, a whole band and like a million tracks and have this whole huge production and then go out on tour solo and then people buy the record and they're like, well, yeah. what's what's going on here? Like, right. So I kind of consciously want to represent what I do live at the same time, you kind of picking from both worlds. So on this record, I kept it real stripped, but you know, there's violin, there's um, a horn section here and there, but light accompaniment, no, no yeah. drums and, and bass or a band or anything. But it's kind of orga- like, you just kind of decide what organically works. Like, I guess that was going to be my question is, how do you decide what you are going to include that's not yeah. just you? So that's what I was doing in uh, in Colfax. I was um, figuring, you know, like, how do you make a record? Well, you kind of just got to go and bang out the song and work on them and see, like, what. Like, I literally, I'm like, song from the moon. Like, I totally hear a string section here. I hear a violin there. Like, you know, and same thing with born on a highway like you know i hear violin here i hear i literally was hearing trumpets in in another song and so it's like these things come about and you kind of like that's kind of how you produce a record from my perspective did you produce it yourself yeah i mean okay you just kind of like well how do we do this thing you know right i just kind of so some stuff works some stuff doesn't work so then i'm like okay well let me call uh, graham patzner who's a fantastic violin player out in oakland and I was down in Oakland, coincidentally, after all that. And uh, and so I, I met up with Graham, and we spent like four hours in the studio, and he banged out like, he played violin on Born on Highway, played violins on Song from the Moon, he played organ on Oh Darling, like he played piano on um, Hearts and Boxcars. Like, yeah. He's just a phenomenal musician. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just try to think of what what I hear and want in the song, and then who who would do it well. And, yeah. Uh, so that's what I did with the rest of the record too. I know some really good, a really good trumpet player, Ron Blake. He played on Oh Darling and yeah, um, Keith Carnella. He played mandolin on a couple of tunes as well. So and then it makes it easy when you transfer that to the stage because it, because you know to echo your point from before, you don't have to worry about the drums that aren't there because they yeah. were never there in the first place. It's easier just to translate that and perform those songs live in front of an audience. Yeah, like with Bullets and Blues, which is what I'll play later. Um, there's a horn section on that. But um, when I play it live, I just kind of like do my own little la di da sort yeah. of thing, whatever I kind of feel like in in lieu of the of the horn section. So now the last question, and I want you to actually play that song because we got to roll out of here pretty soon. Is uh, when you're when you go to approach an audience, right, as a solo artist, and by solo I mean you by yourself, solo. Um, I feel like that's been done a trillion times. And I, I've done shows like that. It's hard to get people's attention. It's hard to get them to pay attention. Like, what do you do, you know, as an artist to get people into what you're doing as a solo person by yourself with just your voice and a guitar? Well, for one, I am not going to let you ignore me. Like, um, that's a conclusion I came to a couple of years ago. Um, like, I was playing a show in Pasadena before I lived down here. And uh, 
every I, it came time to play and like everybody went outside to smoke and like hardly anybody came back in and I played and played and then they literally turned the house music on while I was playing. I was like, you know what? F this. I jumped down. I ran outside. I just belted out this song and sang it in everybody's face. And that was like the birth of like, I'm not going to be ignored. Like I bust my butt doing this thing, you know, yeah. like, like I have something to say, like, you're not going to talk over me. Like, so I have ways of going about dealing with that and getting people's attention. Like I'll jump in the crowd. I'll sing it right in your face. Like I want to look right in your eyes and, and I want to connect with you, you know, like, um, or I'll play a loud bar. I'll play a super quiet song. See what happens. You know, if everyone wants to talk, you know, usually people will suddenly be quiet. I'll just rip out the the chord and just play totally unplugged to like one person on the other side of the room. Yeah. I played to 5,000 people in San Antonio on the last song. I unplugged my guitar and just went out to the front of the stage, just belted it out to everyone in the front row. Oh, you didn't hear in the back? Too bad. You should move up, you know? Like, yeah. uh, so I kind of have like a take no prisoners approach. Like, um, you know, I'm here to, to play. And like, you know, if I make you uncomfortable, like you can, there's the door. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to be here. Well, yeah, you're not playing background music. The music exactly. you're playing is not the kind of music, like, this is not music to be eating, you know, mm-hmm. eggplant parmesan too. This right. is music. This is a call to action type music, you know, and it's it's kind of steeped in that kind of somewhere there's a blurry line between folk and punk somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and your Boston roots, like for me, when I listen to your music, it sounds very, it sounds very like, like Irish folk music or like fire, Irish, like fight music, <laughs> right. sort of, All right. you know, yeah. it's got some of that in there. Yeah. Uh, I am um, from Boston. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I was actually lying a little bit. I've got, I've got two more questions and I want you sure. to play that song. I was lying before. Um, the second to last one is you've got a lot of videos, like your website, you've got a lot of videos, you've got a lot of stuff on YouTube, uh, a lot of songs. Um, you know, this, this can become an avocation unto itself these days. Are you doing all that stuff on your own? Is someone helping you out with this kind of thing? You know, you can't just hold the camera and play at the same yeah. time. Yeah, Sometimes people just come out and film stuff and I'm like, oh, cool. And I'll throw yeah. it on YouTube or they throw it on YouTube or whatever. Okay. Um, I've done the other stuff that's more set up where a couple of years ago we were doing a lot of videos in Berkeley around, you know, the, I think I did a Kickstarter campaign. So we did, you know, I just play and, and video it and throw it on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I get, I don't do this by myself. You know, I do a lot of work by myself, but I get a lot of help from people. And uh, that's the only way I've been able to do it is by reaching out and getting people to help me. And they do. So. Yeah. And it's a lot of heart, man. If you've got the heart to do it and you're doing it in earnest, I think that draws people to you. I've noticed with a lot of artists that come through here. Like if you're really invested in what you're doing, people feel that, right. you know, um, and the last question, I promise this will be the last question. And I want you to play that sure. final song, man. I had, had a great time talking to you. Um, we've talked about a heady topics, a lot of like, you know, society ills and society woes, and this kind of is woven into your music. But the last question I was thinking about this as I was working on, you know, I knew you were coming in to do this interview. So I'm thinking there's one question I was dying to ask you, which is like, what makes you happy? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about all this other heavy stuff. Like what, yeah. what's good? Tell me the good stuff about your you and your world personally and, and at large. Yeah. Um, I think what makes me happy is what makes everyone happy, just like connecting with other people, friends, exercising, you know, going to the beach, um, spending time with family, uh, stuff like that, you know, just the simple things, you know, going to a movie, you know, just, yeah, yeah I get, I like, I got to get right in, in my own head, you know, so like um, what makes me happy is like, you know, thinking of this as helping other people, you know, like right. getting out of myself and, and not thinking about 
what do I need to do for me? How can I get to the next thing? And it's like, well, what can I do for somebody else? And that's how I end up truly happy when I yeah. finally stop thinking, you know, the internal ego and when that shuts up and I can just connect with another person on like another, on a level outside of any interest or um, gain or angle or, you know, music business crap, like whatever, you know, just like, let's go get some tacos and like yeah, take yeah. a walk, you know, yeah. got a dog, like a dog always makes me happy. Oh yeah. Like if I see a dog, I'm stoked, you know, like that's good energy, man. Dog yeah, is just pure, pure good energy, yeah, you know, absolutely. uh, to, to paraphrase a line from, uh, a, the movie aliens of all places, like the, you know, the dog, dogs aren't screwing each other over for a percentage. Yeah. <laughs> Dog's just a dog. Just wants to be with you, man. Yeah. And then what's good what's good about, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, what's wrong with our society, what's right. wrong, the ills and the calls to action and the protest songs. Like what's there's good stuff about our society. Yeah. Talk about that and then good play the things talk. Happen, play you tune. know, like, you know, obviously, you know, gay marriage now being legal, like finally, like that's awesome. Like the system does work slowly, you know. Things do happen eventually. Uh it's just, you know, once again it's a it's a process. Um and so I mean, hopefully we can work to to give some some rights back to people, you know, like the Patriot Act and NDA and all these things that are, you know, everything getting wired and bugged and being under surveillance. Like we can yeah. work for like, you know, eliminating these sorts of things. So I think that's cool and that's still possible here in in America. Um, and just you know, like for me, like you know, I don't want to be screaming and yelling and be angry all the time. You know, like I like to just be happy, you know? So that's I think why, that's why I asked you what, what taking it local, you know, like, you know what, like, I'm not going to solve all these problems in my head today. You know, like, what can I do, you know, right now? You know, I can be nice to the person at the gas station. Yeah. I can be nice to the, the barista giving me my coffee, you know, like I don't have to walk around like scowl, like, Oh, I'm angry at these problems. So I'm going to like be angry. And then, Everyone I interact with is going to be upset because I'm angry. <laughs> How is that a positive solution? Yeah. And that's kind of the conclusion that I came to personally with Wedgwood as I went into the fire. You know, I got to the, the for me, the depth of anger and dissent and protest, and I got burnt. You know, I, anger is a drug, man. I got addicted to anger and it hurt me. You know, it might have, I might have been able to vent and I might have been able to like raise some awareness about stuff. But at the end of the day, like, I had to like draw a line, like, okay, like, you got to be careful, you know, because the fire, you know, can it's hot man. It can warm the house up, but it can also burn the house down. So yeah, totally. Well, I'm glad. You know, you seem to be in a, in a. You know, I know you're tired from the tour, but you seem to be in a good place. Yeah, you know, no, you're making great music. You know, you're out on the road taking it to the people. I am happy. Like I called home the other day. I'm like, yeah, I'm like happy. Like this thing is going well. Like I'm like I just toured Europe twice. I just toured the United States, got a new record out. I'm coming to do this thing here, like getting to spend the morning pl singing songs and talking about this stuff. is That's fantastic. Like, you know, I really, at the end of the day, I have a really cool life right now. I've been able to to play music for a little while and not have to work a day job. And I yeah. want to keep that going as long as possible. Yeah, but, uh, totally. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. I can't, I can't complain. All right, so this last song, tell me just a little bit about it. This is Bullets and Blues. Not a happy song. Um, but, you know, I wrote this song. This is just, I don't know, man. I wrote this when I was up in the Bay Area and it was raining for like a month straight. And it was just kind of like, uh, it was. I don't like, believe it. Yeah. <laughs> it happened. You know, this was a couple of years ago when it still rained in California. And then um, it's just like kind of a reminiscent song, kind of a little bit of a relationshipy song, or kind of a nostalgic. It's a nostalgic song, I would say. Um, a depressing song, but maybe, <laughs> hey, if you're depressed, you know, sometimes people are like, wow, that's not a depressing song, but it cheered me up. 
Depressing songs make me happy, man. They always have. They always have. All right, one last song with Brian McPherson here on Independence Day. Song's called Bullets and Blues. My Lord, oh, my lady, just run. Remember when this was new, and everything we do was fun. Living on the run, living on the run, them days are gone. So is the song It's ringing in our ears But not for long No, not for long I got bullets and blues Blues Bullets and blues I'm just a heart attack And I'm looking back At these lifetimes made of ash Cause with a burning flame We're endless change Nothing remains No, nothing remains the same It's all gone, it's all gone, everyone but you. I got bullets and blues, blues, bullets and blues, blues. I miss the East Coast I miss the D train I must have lost hope Crash an airplane And it's sing or swim When you're born again in this Ocean made of tears Swimming through the years It's all gone It's all gone Everyone but you I got bullets and blue Bullets and blues, blues, bullets and blues, blues. One last time, Brian McPherson. Brian with a Y, man. Such a great song. All these songs are great, man. I'm, 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 I'm envious of what you get to go out and do and like take. I mean, in a in a good way. You know, I call it pleasantly jealous. Like, there's got to be a word for happy jealousy. 
Yeah. You know, like I'm not, yeah. I'm not angry about any of the, you know, the things that you get to do. It's fantastic. It's, it's phenomenal. I, I wish I had more of that in my world. So keep doing it, man. Thanks, man. I what you're doing, it. take it to the people, you know, sing the real stuff from the heart, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve and sing from there. So, um, people can learn about you, brianmcpherson.com, B-R-Y-A-N-M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. Also, facebook.com slash brian.mcpherson.music, Instagram, brian, uh, excuse me, slash, uh, how do you say, just say at with Instagram, do you? At Brian McP. At Brian McP, MCP, and also you can follow him on Twitter, at Brian McPherson. So you got the new record, you've got, uh, you're going to rest up a little bit, and more dates probably, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, um, it's, you're, you're like a shark, so you have to keep yeah. keep moving. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be lining up some some more tour dates um, pretty soon. So. And if you get a chance, everybody, go out and see Brian, because he's going to entertain you, and he's going to make you feel something and think all at the same time, which is like the best kind of music. So thank you, man. Thank you very much. So thank you ever so much to Brian McPherson, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The Honorable Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do anything in this world, please be good to one another.